Three years ago, I stood before you over the course of several weeks and I laid out what I believed was God's vision for this church that would take us 20 years to complete. I called it Vision 2040. I remember those days very well. I remember the days of standing here on this stage behind this pulpit with only 70 people sitting in this room. Half of the people were sleeping. The other half were praying that I would just be quiet so they could get out and watch the Packers play. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, at least that's what it felt like. But I remember being so discouraged during those days, and I thought for the first year that we were here, I honestly thought that we had completely missed the call of God on our lives. And I'm just being transparent with you here this morning. That was a very dark season for my family and myself. I was preaching what I felt like was God's vision, not only for this church, but for the city, but I was so discouraged. Most of the staff I had at the time were not even buying in, and I knew that if they didn't buy in, then the people wouldn't buy in either. And at that time, I felt like I was just a clanging cymbal in the wind. I really thought I had missed God, and if I had missed God that much, I had no business pastoring and leading people. These were the thoughts that were going through my, through my mind. And at that time in, in, in life, I actually thought about leaving ministry because I felt like such a failure. But it was during this time that I remembered a great truth from God's Word that I had been taught several years ago. And it's a truth that I have taught here before. It's the truth about chasing a dream. It's the truth that kept me going through those early days. It was this truth that, had, that has kept me motivated. And today, three years later, we have a different church. We have an amazing staff. And everybody is now pressing towards the same vision. You might not know this, but every staff member we have today was either number one, raised up from within this church or they moved here serving with me in another state. And they just moved here to serve and volunteer and be a part of what God is doing. Every staff member, every one of them, every staff member has a, has a heart for the people of this church, a heart for Green Bay, and most importantly, a heart for God. And I believe right now that God has truly blessed us with the dream team. Also today, we now have, including kids and others throughout this building, we have nearly 300 people regularly on a Sunday morning. And that's not just a spike in attendance, that's our regular attendance. We have an online attendance across all platforms we use between 70 and 80 people every week. On Wednesday nights, we have more than 200 people in this building. We had about 230 this past Wednesday, and this past Wednesday gave me a few more gray hair. And if those of you that were here, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's about 150 people here on Wednesday that's not here on Sunday. You take that 380 weekend attendance, including the online attendance, plus the 150 new faces on Wednesday night, and that's 530 different people we're preaching the gospel to every single week. And I remember when that number was barely 150 Today, as opposed to three years ago, we are preaching the gospel to three and a half times more people than we were three years ago. Three and a half times. But then we have our food pantry. It gets better. 
when you start thinking about all this stuff. We're giving away between 150 to 200 bags of food every week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That doesn't include Sunday. That's another 200 people at least that we are connecting with every week. Then we have our Sunday night feeding meal program that we go down to the motels and the parks. That's another 150 people we're making contact with each week. All together, adding all of these together, we are connecting with at least, at minimum, 900 people every week. Realistically, with our pantry connects, I would say that we are well over 1,000 connections every single week. In three years, including a pandemic, don't forget about that. We've seen a growth from nearly 150 weekly connections to now over 1,000. And this isn't even including our events that we do. We have, we've had over 1,000 people in attendance just at those events, all hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where we are today. Many of you had no impact or no idea of the impact that we're having on our city because this service right here, this is all you see but I want you to know this is only a part of it, and it's actually a very small part of it. This church is a very busy place throughout the week. We have something going on almost every day. And I'm a part of a group with other Assembly of God lead pastors. It's for lead pastors only. It's a safe place where, where lead pastors can share real struggles, and they can encourage one another. And it's, and it's so heartbreaking because... Many pastors right now in our denomination are, are so, or they're discouraged. They're weak because the stats are, you've probably heard them, a lot of churches right now are 20 to 30% less a decrease in attendance than before COVID. And that seems to be the norm across the board. Many are thinking now, many pastors are thinking, man, I could do more good for the kingdom working a secular job and they're just hanging on by a thread, and it really makes me sad. It's so disheartening. But I read these, and then I look at what God is doing here, and I know and I understand and I realize that what we're seeing God do here is not the norm. For the season that we're in right now, coming out of COVID, it's, it's a bit unusual, you see, what we're, what, what we're seeing happen is we're seeing the vision that was laid out three years ago come to pass right in front of us. And if you are in this church today, you are an answer to my prayer because I have been from day one praying that God would send people into this church with a like heart and a like mind, people that have a heart for the lost and the hurting, people that want to make a difference and be a part of something that's bigger than them. I have been praying that God would be sending people to this church who want to make real, lasting, positive change in our city. You see, I have said it before, but we are not going to be a church that sits around and complains about the biggest needs of our city. We are going to be a church that offers solutions to the biggest needs of our city. This is one of the reasons why we're partnering with Safe Families. That's a part of our vision Foster care is a problem in our city. Families being ripped apart is a problem in our city. We're not going to sit back and just talk about it. We're going to offer solutions. 
We're on the move as a church right now, and we are witnessing miracles that I have never seen in my life. But I want to tell you, with all that I've seen so far, I feel in my spirit like it's just getting started. I feel like in my spirit that God is telling me, you haven't seen anything yet. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love Him. So today as we start this series, Movement 2040, and we're going to revisit the vision that God gave us three years ago, today we're going to be talking about chasing the dream. Not just as a church, But I believe we have people sitting in here today that you have a dream from God. God has given you a dream, but you've never seen it come to pass. I believe there's some people in here today that God has given you a dream to change the world, but you've sat on it, you've gotten discouraged, and some of you have given up. I almost did, but it was this truth that kept me going. I believe today that God is going to reignite that dream within you and propel you into your destiny. So here we go. I'm going to read two verses to get started from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2. Here's what it says. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, for it will surely come, it will not delay. Father, for the next few moments I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ. I ask God that you would anoint me. I know God, I, I pray this every week, but I need your anointing. I know who I am without you, God, and if if you don't anoint me, these words will fall flat. They will be meaningless, God, but if you anoint this message, they will change lives, and I believe, God, you are going to use this message to reignite the dreams that you have put, the visions that you have put in the hearts of your people. So, God, let us not leave this place the same as when we came in, and I thank you for it in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. Here in Habakkuk chapter 2, we're giving some basic instructions on what to do with a God-sized vision. We are told to write the vision down. Why? So he may run who reads it. We write it down so we can stay focused during the setbacks that will come along the way. We write it down so we can stay focused on the vision, on the dream, when it feels like we are losing instead of winning. We go back and we reread it to remind ourselves what God has said. That's what I tried to do during those early days here at Green Bay First. I had no one cheering me on. I had no one encouraging me. I had a lot of naysayers. I remember one of our own staff members, when I told them the vision, they actually scoffed and rolled their eyes at me. And I said, boy, this is going to be a long road. But that's what happens when you have a God-sized vision. A God-sized vision will always be bigger than you. It will look impossible. Period. 
It'll look impossible to you, and it'll look impossible to the people you tell it to. If it's not bigger than you, then it's probably not from God. Because God's not going to give you some little mamby-pamby vision that you could pull off on your own. If the vision is from God, it's going to require God for it to come to pass. It's going to require miracles because humanly speaking, it will be impossible. So we write the vision down. It's written down as a reminder as to what God has spoken. Some of you need to do this. You need to write that vision down. Maybe you've let it die. You need to take out a piece of paper and write it down. Some of you need to do it right now. And you need to put it someplace that you can see every day as a reminder to keep running the race. You see, writing it down allows us to keep running forward toward the prize. But notice when the fulfillment of the vision comes to pass. In God's time. I want to tell you, sometimes when you're chasing a dream, it's going to feel like you're moving at a snail's pace. But we're told to keep going. Don't quit. Don't become weary in doing good. Wait for it as it will surely come to pass. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Here we see a remarkable story that illustrates this perfectly from, the, from Elisha the prophet. Elisha was an Old Testament prophet that took the place of Elijah. And here's the story that we see in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, well, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one vessel is full, put it off to the side. So she went from him and she shut, shut the door behind herself and her sons and she poured as they brought the vessels to her. Verse 6, when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, they're not another. So the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, now go sell all the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can now live on the rest. So here we see the prophet Elisha, he is approached by a widow. She says to him, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he feared the Lord, but this creditor has now come to take my two children to be his slaves. So this widow had enormous debt. She had no way to pay her debts. And the legal system in Israel at this time would not allow her to declare bankruptcy. It's not like we have in America here. So she had to give her two sons as servants to the creditor as payment for the debts. This was the legal right of the creditor under the law to all those that owed a debt. And the creditor could then hold the children or even other family members as slaves until the debt was paid or the year of jubilee, then they had to be arrested or they had to be released. Can you imagine in this 
being in this moment of time and you have debt and you, have, can, you can't pay them and the creditor comes to take your children? Now, some of you would probably say, well, where do I sign up? I like this system. <laughs> this sounds pretty good. They can, they can take my kids. So she comes to Elisha with a problem. Notice her focus. Now, this is very important when chasing a dream. Her focus, the widow's focus, was on what she did not have. She does not have a husband. He is dead. She does not have any money. And here in a moment, she's no longer going to have her children. Any one of us in this room would be in a panic if we found ourselves in this situation. So after she pours her heart out to Elisha, the prophet says something amazing to her. Verse 2 again, and Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? It's like, what what am I going to do about this? So he says, tell me, what do you have? What do you have in your house? The widow had a mindset of lack. The widow's focus was on what she did not have. The prophet of God comes along, and his mindset is much different. His mindset was not to focus on what she did not have. His mindset was to focus, rather, on what she did have. He says, tell me, what do you have to work with? What do you have in your house? And look how she responds, verse 2, and she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Again, she has a mindset of lack. Mindset is huge when you're chasing a vision. She said, I have nothing except a little jar of oil. Many scholars have said that there is some evidence that this little jar of oil was no bigger than, it wasn't a large jar for cooking, it was a little jar for anointing oil. So it's a very, very small, insignificant amount. Elisha said, perfect. Because when God's involved, a little bit is all you need. Verse 3 again. He said, go outside now, borrow vessels from your neighbors. Empty vessels, not just a few of them. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and then pour your oil into these vessels. When one's full, set it aside. So she does that in verse 5. She, she went out from him, shut the door from behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. So he tells her to go out and gather vessels to hold the oil. He said, I don't just want you to get a few of them. A few of them, I want you to get many. Once she gets the containers, now listen to this, she is to go inside and shut the door and then begin to pour. Now I wonder why he told her to shut the door. Here's what I think. I think he told her to shut the door because she just borrowed all of these containers from her neighbors. I'm sure they're a bit curious I'm sure they're going to be watching, and when they see what she's trying to do, they're going to think she's nuts. And when they see that she, they think she's crazy, they're going to begin to speak seeds of doubt instead of seeds of faith. Why? Because she's trying to do something that doesn't make sense in the natural. The only way those containers will fill is if God shows up and works a miracle. 
There's no other way those containers are going to fill. So he tells her to shut the door. I want you to shut the door from the negative people. Shut the door from the people that are going to tell you that it can't be done. Shut the door on the people that roll their eyes at you. You know, I think the word can't should be taken out of our vocabulary. Because we read in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It doesn't matter what we see in the natural because we don't walk by, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. I believe the phrase it can't be done is not, I believe it's not in God's vocabulary. You see, our part as followers is to is to step by faith without having all of the answers, without knowing how it's all going to work. We just simply start walking by faith. We start pouring, so to speak. And as soon as we do that, God begins to move and provides what we need when we need it. This is exactly what happened with our food pantry when the pandemic hit. We're going to talk more about that next week, but our food pantry is a living example of what I'm talking about today, something that you have seen with your own eyes. But I'm sure these instructions from the prophet, they didn't make sense to the widow. She's looking at her little jar of oil, and she sees, I don't have much to work with here, but on the other hand, the prophet of God said to start filling the containers, just start pouring So she starts pouring, and as she starts to pour, she notices that the oil doesn't stop. The oil begins to flow. She watches the miracle begin to unfold right before her very eyes. She didn't have it all figured out. She didn't know how it was all going to work out. She just simply obeyed. This is the same principle we see when following the call of God. You see, on one hand, we're going to look at the resources that we have that God has given us, and we're going to realize we don't have a whole lot. God's given me this vision, and I see the finish line, and then I see where I'm at, and I just don't know how I'm going to get there. But all we have to do is start to pour, and as we start to pour, then we start to see the miracle unfold. You see, here is the mindset that you have to have when chasing a dream. A person of vision does not focus their attention on what they do not have. A person of vision always focuses their vision. They always focus on what they do have. They focus their attention on what they currently have in the house. They don't say things like, we can't do that because we don't have any resources. They say, we can do that. Now let's figure out how to get the resources. Let's figure out how to get it done. And this is the mindset we have to have as a church if we ever see this vision come to pass. We don't say we can't. We say we can. Now how do we do it? And it's the same mindset you have to have in your personal vision. Again, God's never going to give you a vision that you can pull off on your own. It will be bigger than you. It will require other people. And more importantly, it will require God. The widow needed both things for her miracle. She needed others to join her by giving her the containers. And then she needed God to supernaturally multiply it. 
When you are following a vision, there's going to be times where you have to step forward without having all of the answers. And that's scary if you're one of those people that have to have all the answers. But I've noticed that's not how God works. I remember years ago when the Dream Center in Los Angeles began to reach out and rescue the trafficked women from the streets of L.A. They didn't know what they were doing. There was no manual written at this time. Nobody else was doing it. But the city had a great need, and they said, we are going to offer solutions. So they begin to take these precious women in, and they begin to care for them. They begin to help them get their lives restored, and that's how it started. It's not what you see today. That's not where it started. We see where it is today, and we think, wow, but this is where it started. They just begin to pour, and as they poured, God gave them what they needed as they stepped out in faith, and now today, people look at the Dream Center as experts in this field. I think of the Dream Center in Phoenix. They have beautiful rooms for these ladies that they rescue to live in. They have a hospital right on campus for these ladies 100% donated and staffed by the Phoenix Children's Hospital free of charge. Grand Canyon, Canyon University stepped up and said every woman rescued from the streets is going to get a free college education to help them rebuild their life. And we look at that today and we say, wow, look at what God has done. But we have to remember it didn't start there. And I have the unique perspective, I guess, to see where it started. It started with a few people with the desire to walk the streets of the inner city in the dark of night, risking their lives at the chance of saving someone else. And that's dangerous work because you take an income source away from a pimp and they will kill you. But they said, this is all we have. Let's just use this. And they simply began to use what God had placed in their hands and as they did, they watched the supernatural happen and he began to multiply it. But the miracle did not start until they started to pour. I remember shortly after we arrived in Green Bay, some of you will remember this story. I stood up here and I said, we are going to buy a bus and we're going to start picking up kids from around the city and bringing them into church. I don't know if you remember this or not, but that day that I got up here, I was only here a few weeks. I literally sat at my office chair because we had no money. I was wondering how we were going to pay the mortgage and I'm getting up here and I'm talking about buying a bus and I'm literally sitting at my desk weeping because people are going to think I'm nuts. But I said, this is what we're going to do. We are going to buy a bus. You see, I know, I know that I know that I know that that's what God had spoken. So I got up here and I spoke it by faith. Shortly after, we had a wonderful couple here in the church walk up to me and say, why don't you buy that bus, Pastor? We're going to pay for it. And I was blown away. That was a miracle. We bought the bus and another gentleman from our church came up to me and said, I want you to go ahead and paint the bus, Pastor. I'm going to pay for the paint. There's another miracle because the church budget was zero. A few months later, bus two was donated from a church in Minnesota. A couple wonderful men went up and grabbed that bus for us. Drove it up. When we got that bus, the batteries were shot. It's going to cost four to $500 for new batteries. But a gentleman here in the church rose up and he said, I have some batteries in an old truck I'm not using. I think they'll fit. Let me put them in. They're practically new. 
He said, I'll donate them to the work of the, the, work of the Lord. More miracles. We have now have five buses, and we dedicated all of them earlier this year, if you remember that. Then God sends the Lopez family to be the bus director. Haven't they been such a blessing here in this church? Don't you just love Lynn and Ronaldo and the family? Get ready because Lynn's going to be preaching in two weeks. She's going to be talking about the letter A. So make sure you're all here. Amen. That's, I'm excited for that. She's going to be talking about the bus ministry. But they moved practically 2,000 miles. I remember it. They had no home. Where are you going to live, Lynn? Well, we don't have any place to live. Where are you going to work, Lynn? Well, I have a job. I just quit my job. I'm moving up there. I feel like God's telling me to go to Green Bay and be a part of this. So she just come up, volunteer. They lived down a motel for the first, first week or so. Here's the thing. I had no idea how God would unfold it when I spoke about buses for the first time. I was scared to death. I honestly had no clue how it was going to pass. But I was going to move forward anyway and take a step of faith. As I sat in my office that morning, I asked that question, what do I have in the house? And I realized that morning that in this house, in this church, we have a great group of people that love God and they're willing to sacrifice to see the kingdom of God move forward. And God provided the miracle using the people that were already here in the house. So how do you chase a dream? Three things. These are easy to preach, but they are tough to walk out. These are hard to walk out. Your faith will be tested when you, walk, when you walk a dream. Number one, you write it down. You write it down. You put it in a place where you can see it every day. Some of you need to do this right now. Computer screen, post-it note on the mirror, whatever it might be at work. You see, this keeps you focused on what God has said. It keeps it right in front of you. This keeps you moving forward and running forward when you feel like giving up. When you feel like there's more going against you than there is for you, this focusing on this will keep you going. Number two, ask yourself the question, what do I currently have that I could use to start me towards the vision? This is a question you have to answer. I cannot answer this question for you. You have to answer. God gave you the vision. Many people will bring their dream and their vision to me, want me to answer this question. Notice the prophet asked, he asked her, what do, you, what do you have? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Maybe for some of you, you have a dream to start a home for battered kids. That's a big dream. Maybe a ranch with all these kids that you have rescued and you see this ranch out in the, out in the, out in the countryside and you see how beautiful it is and you see this finish line and the dream that God has given you, but you see where, are, where you are today and you say, how do I ever get there? Well, maybe today's the day you start, you sign up with the Safe Families Ministry. Maybe it's taking care of one child faithfully. Maybe you can do that. What do you have in your house? Focus on what you do have instead of what you don't have. Focusing on what you don't have will just lead to excuses and you will never get started. It might be a small amount, but that's all you need to be faithful with for God to work a miracle. Number three, don't hang out with dream killers. This one's big. Because you will have more people against you than you will for you. 
when you start talking big dream from God. People will try to squash your dream. Usually it's those that are closest to you that will try the hardest. It'll be family because they know you, they've seen you, they know all about it. And a lot of times family, will, the, the, those that are closest to you will be, will be sometimes could be the biggest opponent. They'll tell you it can't be done. Instead, I want you to find, get around and find people that will support your dream and believe in your dream. Surround yourself with other world changers that think differently. People that know what it means to take a risk. Because some people, let's just be honest, have never taken a risk in their life. They'll sit back on the sofa and they'll try to squash your dream. I just want to be real with you, and this is why this is so hard. A God-sized dream will require a God-sized risk. God will probably ask you to give up some stuff that's very near and dear to you. For us, he's asked us to give up homes. He's asked us to give up positions. He's asked us to give up stability in a certain area. To follow the dream. It's going to take a risk. It'll require a risk that will quite frankly scare the daylights out of you. And that's how you know it's from God. I'm going to invite Sam to come on back up at this time if you could. I believe every one of you sitting in this room today, you have been created by, for something special. You're not a mistake. I don't care what anybody in your life has told you. Some people have been told that you're a mistake. It is not true. God does not make mistakes. You are here for a reason and for a purpose. You're not on this earth by mistake. It's up to you, however, to seek God to find out what that purpose is. It's up to you to ask God what is, God, what is your dream for my life? What is your vision for my life? So as we close this service today, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those today that have had a dream and you're sitting in this room today and you've let it die. And you feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now and it's re reigniting and rekindling that with, within you and it's, it's, you're, you're, it's giving you hope. I also want to pray for those of you that are just following. You're just starting to follow a dream. Because, guys, it's scary, man. When God gives you a big dream, there's, it's no doubt about it. It's, it's, it'll shake you. I'm going to pray for you that those of you that are just getting the dream, that you would stay strong and focused when you are hit with opposition because there will be opposition guaranteed. There will be winds and waves that come out. But the key, just, just like with the walking on the water, is to keep your mind, eyes focused on Jesus. Because when you start focusing on all the problems, the wind and the waves, that's when discouragement hits and you want to give up. I close with this, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. When you start following the dream that he's given you for your life, he rejoices. Doesn't say he rejoices when you hit the finish line, although the finish line's important. He just wants to see it start. Some people never start. Every tree, every great tree you see starts as a small seed. 
The key is to be faithful and obedient with the little bit that God has give you, given you. And when you are faithful with the little, He will begin to bless you with more. And He rejoices to see the work begin. He rejoices to see you start chasing the dream that He has given you. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, today I just want to pray and seek you on behalf of the people that are in here, Lord. First of all, those that have let their dreams die. God, I believe that there's some people in here that maybe they've, they've seen a big ministry. I'm just feeling this right now, that there's somebody in here today that they've, maybe they've seen a big ministry and, and speaking to lots of people and it's never come to pass. And, and, and I believe, God, that the, maybe the next step for them is just to do a devotional on Facebook. A Facebook Live. It's what they have in their house. For others, God, the, they've got a dream to, to take care of people, to feed people, to whatever that might look like, God. And I just, I'm just praying and I'm believing right now, God, that you're going you're gonna to speak to them, Lord, and show them, baby, what they already have that they can start to use. Like the widow had the oil. God, what do we have I pray, God, right now that you would just speak that to everybody, Lord. Those that have let the dreams die, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just rekindle that spark today. God, I pray now for those that are, that are just starting to dream. God, I pray, Father, that this message would come back to their mind when things get tough and when they feel like quitting and giving up. And they would remember they would remember the mindset to chase a dream. They would remember to write it down and to stay focused. God, I believe there's some people sitting in this room right now that's going to change this world. Not change the city, God, but change the world. And I thank you for them, God. I thank you for them. I believe there's people in this room that have a calling. You've placed a calling on their life bigger than mine. And they've never stepped forward to it. People you've called to ministry. And they've let it die because they're scared of taking the step of faith that they need to take. God, I pray that you touch them today, Lord. Encourage them. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I never like to close a service without giving you a chance to get your life right with God. And I believe there's some people in here this morning that you, you need God in your life and you need Him in your life bad. You come into this place today and you're broken. You feel like there's something missing inside of you. And you feel like I'm talking to you right now. God brought you into this place because He loves you. He brought you into this place for this moment right here and right now. And so if that's you, if you say, Pastor, I need God in my life, if that's you, I want to pray with you before you leave today. I'm going to give you the chance to get your life right with God before you leave this place. Don't just let this go because you might not get another opportunity. We're not guaranteed another day. This might be your chance to get your life right with God, and that's why you're in here today. 
And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, what I'm going to do is I'm going to simply count to three. And when I get to three, if you're in here and you say, Pastor, I need God in my life, would you pray for me? I want to see your hand in the air because I want to know who I'm praying for today. On the count of three, I want to see your hand. If you mean business, you say, I need God in my life. This is your chance right now. Don't walk out of here and ignore this. On the count of three, one, two, three, right now. Put them up. Just put them up. Put them up. Yes, I see them. Wow, they're going up in the back. Thank you, God. I see them onto the side here. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you, Jesus. See it in the back over here in the sound booth. God, you are so good. You can put your hands down. I thank you, God, for these hands that have just lifted. Those that are committing their life to you. Those of you that just lifted your hand, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say it slowly. And if you mean business, I want you to speak this prayer out loud after me. Those of you that didn't lift your hand, I encourage you to say it with them to encourage you. The Word of God says that if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart that He rose from the dead, that we will be saved. And today we're going to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior together. So I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to repeat this out loud after me. Those of you that lifted your hands. And we're going to give our hearts to Jesus Christ. Let's say this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess that I'm a sinner. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to wash me of all my sin. Today, Jesus, I declare that you are my Lord, my God, and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name.